there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom and making sense out of medical propaganda. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty, Robert Scott Bell. Now we know Monday has officially begun because it's Advanced Medicine Monday. And of course, Dr. Batar, the highlight of our week, we kick it off together in style and he's back. And Dr. Batar, we got lots to talk about as we always do. And I just want to say... Thank you again for hooking me up with Ty, Ty Bollinger, officially starting this week, Outside the Box Wednesdays. How cool will that be? That's going to be fantastic. Ty's a great guy, and everybody's going to enjoy that. I know I'll enjoy listening to it myself. I, you know, I, I have a feeling you might call in and heckle him. I, I, I usually will take every opportunity to do so when presenting. <laughs> so we'll see if we have the lines open that day or not. But that's going to be awesome. Hey, listen, also last hour I covered uh, some speculative perspectives on the election. Let's say what would happen if Obama wins, what would happen if, if uh, Romney wins, and, of course, all of the emotionality that goes along with these transitions. It seems like every four years it, it ratchets it up to – you know, the animal brain is taking over. No matter what happens, it doesn't look pretty. And there's an article here. I don't want anybody to open it while we're on the air because it automatically opens a video. But it's about heartbreak, how heartbreak affects your health. Now, some people have invested in a, a worship of Obama. And if, if Obama loses, heartbreak might be the least of it, their devastation. Others are looking at Obama going, oh, my gosh, if he stays in, my heart will be broken. How will this impact our health? This is written about also in the nine steps to keep the doctor away, how the emotions impact health as well. Yeah, absolutely. The fifth toxicity, the emotional, psychological well-being of an individual, which, as we've discussed, Robert, is actually, in my uh, opinion, in my observation, actually the most significant of all components when it comes to dealing with cancer. That emotional, psychological issue, whatever that trauma was, it may have even started off just as a small, simple little abrasion, if you will. Yes. It develops into an infection that festers and becomes an abscess, and it becomes necrotic inside and rots away. Now, of course, I'm figuratively speaking here, but those emotions within us rot away and form this, this festering cesspool of infection and eventually manifest into cancer. Yes, this is one of the components right. that most people don't realize uh, is so crucial that it must be addressed. And I will tell you that I know within 10 minutes of talking, five minutes of talking to any doctor, whether they really know what they're talking about when it comes to cancer or not, because if they've treated cancer effectively, they know the number one issue to deal with is the emotional psychological issue. I was at a cancer conference in Dallas in April, and uh, there were a number of speakers there. And when I got up there to speak, I, I said that I have never been at a cancer conference and heard so many doctors talk about the emotional, psychological components. So I know, and I, and I mentioned three of the other speakers before me. I said, I don't know these guys, and I just wanted to hug them because they, mm-hmm. they really know it. They really know this, you know. And, and of course, they've all three of them have. Um, 
have had good success in helping cancer patients. Coming back to this whole issue of the heartbreak and, and how this affects our health, it's there's actually a physiological response. It's interesting. On a side note, I was interviewed by Fox TV on whether sex is beneficial for your health. Now, I talked about that. Of course, it is because it's a form of exercise. Well, this this health aspect that we're talking about, the heart aspect, the emotional aspect, is a similar type of scenario. It's not perhaps direct, like sex is not exercise, but sex is a form of exercise, and so heartache may not be directly related to your health, but heartache causes a physiological response that is similar to any other type of a stressor, which creates increase in oxidation or the oxidative stress. And even though we don't think of heartache as being oxidative, it is oxidative. And that's where this issue, you know, really takes on its own identity because it is one of those components that we don't think of causing an impact on one's well on one's health we just think of it as something else in your head and it'll, be, it'll go away but yes. things in your head they become psychosomatic uh, and you in psycho meaning brain or, or psychological and somatic meaning the body they have an impact on your body the brain has that impact on your body and in fact in all health aspects it's the brain that causes the problem and the rest of the body has to deal with the aftermath. Yeah, and we talked recently also about scientific uh, studies now acknowledging that the br- the brain, of course, we know neurons, nervous system, etc., but the heart itself containing its own sort of brain and nervous system seemingly independent of that higher so-called brain and nervous system. So these organs have ability to have memory, feeling, thoughts associated. And there have been writers that have been considered far-out New Age writers and scientists even who said, listen, we can link certain emotions with certain organs, and when those uh, impacts are, are, are real, we can assess the emotional state on out and vice versa. Without a doubt. That's, that's actually a, a very significant component of it. Um, you know, one thing, Robert, that comes to mind is, this this neuronal component that you talked about, you know, having their having its own nervous system, perhaps you could yes. say its own brain, the heart having its own brain. Yes. And I've uh, had a conversation previously with a colleague, and we were talking about how the heart has its own brain. Now, think about this for a second. How many times have people gone to bed, and there's something that's bothering them, and even though they've made the right decision, you know, from their logical brain their heart doesn't set right and if you you stay up and you can't go to sleep and it just bothers you and it, it eats away at you and it's not your brain that's actually your heart brain yes and it actually impacts on literally blood pressure and yeah. the rate shifts and you can feel it and it, like you said like you said it's not coming from the brain but it literally is coming and it's originating in the heart Exactly. And it's, it's uh, the pulse rate, as you said, increases, your respiratory rate increases, your peripheral vascular resistance increases, and the heart has to now beat harder to overcome that inertia, to overcome that resistance. So there's, there's the whole component that I think we don't give enough credence to and that yeah. we should as, yeah. as healthcare professionals and actually look at that component uh, and address that component. And that's one reason that emotional, psychological component in my seven toxicities, the fifth toxicity is so crucial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've said it openly, even though I deal with heavy metals, and I'm the chairman of the American Board of Clinical Metal Toxicology, and I deal with persistent organic pollutants, and we do all these other different things. You know, I'm not an emotional, psychological, 
uh, counselor or anything like that, but that's where it lies and that's where we have to spend so much time in my clinic. We end up spending so much time with some of the patients Yes, and I, I always end up by saying that one thing, I'm not a counselor and yet I've spent three hours in there talking to the patient and sometimes just talking with that patient, they walk out, they're crying or they've just had that cathartic event and they feel so much better. And I haven't done anything medically. I mean, literally, <laughs> I haven't done anything medically, but the person feels better. I feel better. I've learned, uh, but I haven't done anything medically. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's the brilliance of healing is, is it is a, a look, a touch, a smile as well. And I love logic. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I like to be logical about things. But when we talk about this, and until you're in it as a healer or even as a patient in that relationship, you realize that a lot of healing happens beyond even logical explanation, right? We can cross every I or dot every T, as they say, vice versa. You know what I'm saying? And yet we leak to this this point where we could be frustrated if we're just by the book or by the chemical analysis, but this should work, this should be it. And then you're like, wait a second, there's a whole other realm of existence here and a whole other realm of reality here that I, I, I don't know if I could say, it should, is it right to say it defies logic or is it beyond logic? Well, no, I, I, think, I, I think probably is beyond logic. And if you think about it, just to carry on the same thought that you just started on when you said that just putting your hand on a person or, or a smile, you know, the, just the act. In fact, I think I did this at advanced medicine seminars, but I did it on the first day. So you weren't there mm-hmm. uh, on the first day. But or maybe did I do it on the second day when I told everybody to put their hand on the person to the right? Were you there? Oh, yeah, we did. We did that as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, just that just that action of touching somebody. Now, of course, you know, we're not talking about inappropriate touching somebody. <laughs> no, no, no. It was all appropriate, above board. Everybody was comfortable. It was great. And it was a, a very good teaching experiment experience and that, you know, impacted on a lot of people to help them see that, that this healing is so much more than just any kind of book training. Yeah, it's just, just by putting your hand on somebody as you're getting ready to walk out of the door and you're saying – you know, you're finishing with a patient. or It's just, I mean, it's so funny, Robert. It starts off just, by just putting a hand on somebody's shoulder, just to make, give them a reassurance. Everything's going to be okay. Yes. You know, six weeks later, um, two months later, as a patient's now leaving for, you know, they've been there for the two rounds of treatment or whatever, they're leaving. They invariably, I will not initiate anything. I mean, I just stand up. They will stand up, and it's such a normal response for them to just put their arms around me and hug me. Yes. And of course, I respond with that too, but because obviously it's like a journey that's been traveled together and you've been two people, human beings on this journey, which happened to be that person's healing journey, but it was a journey. And, and so it's mm-hmm. it's like saying until next time to somebody who's been traveling with you is, is really what it's, is. It, it's not a, it's not something that is a casual thing. It's a heartfelt, deep, emotional you can feel the power type of hug, and I would be lying if I said that it was only one side. I get as much resurrection, uh, reinfusion, reignition. Uh, you know, well, re- revitalization. Even I mean, you talk about the vital force in this co- in this case, and I love what you said about the healing process being the journey. It's much like Advanced Medicine Mondays. I mean, literally, it's a journey because sometimes we get on board with this thing and we almost don't know where we're going to end up, but we know we enjoy the journey so much. And, and once you find that space and place in life, then a lot of these other things, these emotional starting points for disease, can diminish and dissipate. And that's exactly right. That's exactly what happens. It, dis- it disintegrates without us even knowing how it happened, 
half the time without even realizing why it happened. The fact is that it did happen, and it happened because it is that journey. Mm. Well said, well said. Well, we're definitely on the healing journey every week here, Mondays, on the Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine Mondays, Medical Rewind. If you ever miss one of these events, these journeys, you can go ahead and download them through Natural News. Also, MedicalRewind.com has them. And, of course, the links are all up at RobertScottBell.com, including to the international bestseller, The Nine Steps to keep the doctor away, and if you're a new listener, we'll excuse you for maybe you don't have it yet, but all my old-time listeners, if you haven't picked it up yet, I will find you. You've got to get the book. It's that good, and of course, we encourage you to make plans to come to Houston November 16th and 17th. It's a Friday and a Saturday, and we've got links up to advancedmedicineseminars.com, how you can participate. We'll talk more about that as well. Also, the GMO issue is big. Uh, uh, listen, we got to tie that into cancer as well, beyond even the emotional issue. There are some real physiological toxins. So, Dr. Pitar, when we come back, we'll launch into some of that discussion. Absolutely. All right, we'll try to get Dr. Pitar a little better link up. I know we've had some warbling this segment, so we'll try to reinforce the connection as well on the break. Stand by, check it all out. The links are up at robertscadbell.com. More Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Pitar after this. Great heavens, what kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. In the nine steps to keep the doctor away, there's a number of toxicities that Dr. Batar goes into. And to add to that fun and mix, there's a new story here on more side effects, which we call direct effects of genetically modified organisms. Ask your cancer. No, I should say ask your doctor, but that was almost right, Dr. Batar. Ask your doctor if cancer is right for you, <laughs> because your doctor may be your cancer. You know, it's so funny that uh, yesterday on Facebook, mm-hmm. Every now and then, I don't really read my own Facebook. Josh, my IT um, manager and special project manager, actually deals with all that stuff. But every now and then, something pops up in my email and stuff because somebody posted. And so if I'm not in a hurry, I, I may look at it. And there's somebody that was you know, saying something really nice about me and God bless you for what you do, et cetera, et cetera. But <clears throat> the last sentence that this lady wrote was, I just fired my doctor. You know, so she's saying all these nice things about me. I don't know who she is. She's not one of our patients, but she said, I just, I wish you were up here in New York and I just fired my doctor. And that started off, I don't know how, but I guess how Facebook works. And maybe, yes. you know, Robert, there are people that post something and then another person will respond. And it's all on your page, but you have nothing to do with the conversation. So other people are involved with it. And yes. it just went on and on about uh, how people's. You know, their doctors were causing they, the patients felt that their doctors were causing a problem. This just happened this past this past weekend. Yes, and it was it was a barrage. Like I don't know, five ten people got involved with this conversation, and it all started. Di- <clears throat> excuse me, directing the conversation got directed towards HIV, and I don't remember what else. But it was all about what the doctors were doing that was actually more as in the words of the patients or these people, more toxic than the disease itself. Oh, man. Well, yeah, it's true. I remember seeing those comments as well. And there's such a wake up, you know, through the different forms of media that we have here, through the Internet, through traditional radio, as well as through the social media. uh, These are the things we're confronting. And it is awakening people to say, wait a second. 
you know, I, I don't have to be a victim of my doctor. If my doctor does this, no longer will I cower in fear as subservient to them. I now I'm going to say, uh-uh, nobody, you're not going to do that to me. I'm out of here. You're fired. Right. In fact, that's right. I remember now that you had somebody said, uh, I think you made a recommendation of a doctor in New York. Just, they were asking for somebody like me in mm-hmm. New York. I now remember seeing you, you were in that uh, chain. Yep. Yeah, I was really pleased to see it as well, because uh, there are people that have a lot of impact as well. They become quite active or become activists via social media. So that the things that we would do in their personal life that you would never go out beyond, let's say, an interpersonal relationship. Now, some could say that's a negative thing for some things. I understand. But I see a lot of positivity in that because these people become inspiring for both for all of us, really, to say, yeah, here's another person that stood up and said, uh, uh-uh. uh. I am not going to be subjected to that kind of treatment. And I don't mean just, uh, you know, physiological drug treatment. I mean, even the emotional treatment, the superiority complexes as such. Absolutely. It's basically, in in a nutshell, it's refusing to be a victim anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's big. And, of course, on this GMO issue, I don't know how many doctors have become aware of it because they're still prescribing uh, so many drugs on the, on this on the, on on so many fronts, but the, the GMO issue is that serious? You know, would you like some cancer with your food, basically? And we've already had the the issue with a lot of the toxicities you write about in the nine steps to keep the doctor away with pesticides and herbicides and fungicides and these things. You know, the the, the Trump factor, which we almost couldn't have fathomed twenty thirty years ago, was that they would be altering the genetic integrity of food and, ex- and expecting us to eat it as if it were the same thing. But the problem is, Robert, we most people are eating. It without even knowing what the issues really are at hand. Uh, it's unfortunate, but they have relied upon the ignorance of the masses, and the masses are consuming this without even knowing what they're consuming. You know, it's funny because on the ranch, we've talked about how we need to have non-GMO corn for the chicken and for some of these other animals, and we've been purchasing corn at the local tractor supply and came to find out that it was GMO corn. So then my wife was on this search for finding a place where we could get non-GMO corn. And one of our, one of the children that goes to school with my youngest son, Rahan, his father told my wife where we could get some non-GMO corn. So now my wife goes there to get non-GMO corn. And we come to find out that even that place, the corn that they have is GMO, which is supposed to be an organic place. And in the search of trying to find some place that has non GMO corn, we came to find out that there's no place that we can get non-GMO corn. Even Organic Place said that virtually everything now on the market is GMO. Yeah, about, as they say, 80% of all corn products are genetically modified, and the concern is that even the organic quality has been suffering because of genetic drift as well. And it's a disastrous situation. Now, we go back to more of the ancient grains, if we can access them, to kind of find that integrity that won't disrupt so much of what is integral for life itself. And it's become quite a challenge. And as you said, most Americans still wholly unknown the subject to them. And their kids are eating this stuff. And as we've referenced here, Jeffrey Smith has found out and others that the BT that's engineered this so-called toxin this is poison, this pesticide engineered is literally binding to the microflora in the guts of children, creating pesticides like they become internal pesticide factories. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, that is just the first of many things that occurs. It's a cascade, a domino effect, and it just continues to build up and, you know, one domino falls and hits three more and then those cascade and it just becomes a 
never-ending wheel of destruction, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so again, this issue is, is something that, you know, we're thinking about all the years we had been doing this kind of healing work and, and kind of counteracting, okay, we know this toxic poison, we know this, and we can actually identify it, and we know that if we make these decisions, we won't be as exposed to it. Now, on this front, you find that even with all of your best efforts, it's likely there is some drift into your body despite your best efforts, and then wow, it becomes even a, a bigger challenge on this journey to stay clean or to get clean. So it's not so much, I think, that um, you know they were counting on people to... Uh, I, I, think they, I think they relied on people's misinformation. Mm-hmm. When I say they, I'm talking about the, the big producers of these GMO components. They relied on people not believing that anybody would do something this... Heinous, and people just don't realize how heinous it is. Mm-hmm. That's the sad part because the six toxicity, as I talk about, you know, it's foods, but not the additives and foods, not the components that are the preservatives and the insecticides and the pesticides and all these other things that are added to foods. It's the actual m- mechanistic things that we do to the food: the pasteurization, the homogenization, the mm-hmm. the uh, genetic modification, the irradiation, how we change the actual configuration of food, and and the destructive components of it and how destructive it really is. Because think about it. When when you go to an alternative practitioner, they talk about organic or not organic. You talk about holistic. You talk about, you know, getting good components of food. Nobody talks about finding non-GMO source for your corn. Because it's – you think that you go to Whole Foods or you go to some place that, you know, that Earth Fair or someplace that, go, that has – organic food and clean food and yet even they don't have non-gmo corn right because it's practically everywhere yeah i mean how far do you have to go i mean just recently to feed the animals i mean as you're taking care of them how far how far did you go well right now the closest place that we found that we can get non-gmo corn and we're not even 100 percent sure yet is in virginia and we have to buy it in minimum of a pallet and then of course you've got a the exorbitant shipping fees that go around, you know, with, with shipping a pallet or something. So, and we're still not even sure if it's hundred percent non-GMO. We still have to verify that. We were told that by one of my patients, in fact, uh, that it might be the only place that we can get, but the places that we found so far in North Carolina that we were told would be non-GMO have confirmed us themselves that no, our stuff is GMO. Incredible. Absolutely. This is the world according to Monsanto. No doubt. They, they, they've taken over the world at this point, if this is the case. Now, we've seen and we've been supportive of the Prop 37 efforts in California simply to label GMOs. And some people go, that's not enough. we got to ban them. It's like, well, I, I would say I'd agree. But recognizing the uphill battle we have to fight money that, that we don't have that they have, if we could get the labeling to happen, inevitably, they would end up being banned, not because the government bans them, because the marketplace has destroyed them, because the people, once they know what's in their food, most of the people, I'm not going to say all, but most would go, I don't think I want to eat something that's been modified genetically in this way. I think that most people would, Robert. I, I, I think that 95% or more people would, because it's that old adage that more and more people get. In fact, I talk about this in the book, you know, the mm-hmm. definition of madness and the definition of good. People always ask me, no matter where I end up going, people always say, well, how do I, you know, how do I know whether something's good for me or not? Is there a simple tool? And my tool is M is madness. If man made it, it's madness. 
G is good. God, you know, G goes for God. G goes for good. If God made it, it's good. If man made it, it's madness. So to me, anything that's genetically modified, and as long as people understand that genetically modified means that humans have genetically modified something, yes, it would equate to that madness and not to that God good category. I mean, it's that simple. Yeah, Why it really, it really is. Eat something that we go in and reconfigure thinking that we know. I mean, what has man done? I mean, give me one example of something that man's done that has not destroyed, uh, you know, everything from forests and ecology and, and, and species. And lim- we're like the cockroaches of the planet. You know, we go and we set up and destroy everything. Yeah, this is the kind of conquering mentality that we are to be superior to the, the beast of this and that. It's like, all right, from an ego perspective, you know, it only goes so far because you wipe out the beast, you wipe yourself out. You wipe out the crops, you wipe yourself out. So there's this self-terminating thing. They've talked about the Terminator seed of Monsanto and biotech. But the fact that we would do this means that we would self-terminate. This is a suicidal path. This is not a path of life. Now, I, I think the, the planet can recover. If we stop this madness, and we can maybe be proactive to do that, but if we continue down this road, the self-fulfilling prophecy of population reduction happens because of what they're unleashing on the planet. You're absolutely right, Robert, and and it's something that is going to the payback or what we the the cost we're doing, the interest we're bearing is so great, and in fact, we don't even know what the interest rate is on this. It it could be literally hundreds of thousands of percent, and of course, I'm. I'm making an analogy that interest rate would be what we have to pay back at the end of the you know, the consequences that we have to pay back doing this. We just have no clue. We can't even fathom even the the most remote aspect of what this could be doing to our offspring and to the next uh, next generation. Because when you're genetically modifying the raw constituents of what make up our own body, by definition, we are changing our own genetic makeup. We are changing our own essential building blocks. Yes. What are those manifestations? We have no idea. But we do know in terms of the, the studies with animals, more cancer, the big C, no question. Man's creating it. Doctors are creating it. If they're not waking their patients up to, to get them off of these GMO foods, much less all the toxins that you talk about in the nine steps to keep the doctor away uh, that also contribute to create. And as we started today, talking about the emotional basis, the abuse that may have happened in early childhood continues in adulthood as long as we allow these global corporations that have no allegiance to any nation or state, least of all to your life or the life of your offspring. So when we come back, we'll talk about that. Also, I want to get Dr. Batar's perspective on the Vermont law that says you have to acknowledge a certain statement before you can opt out a vaccine. So I'll ask Dr. Batar about that when we come back from this break. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show. in the health world through the power of radio it's the robert scott bell show earlier today i covered a new law that was enacted or policy in vermont interesting violations of the first amendment now on one level we'd say it's good because it added or supported this philosophical exemption to vaccines where we go well okay we like all exemptions for vaccines no problem but in this case dr Bittar, this is fascinating 
um, there was a lawyer that's fighting it because they say it's a violation of the First Amendment. Because if you want to opt out, they go, oh, sure, you can opt out, but you just got to sign this, right? Like it's an affidavit. And in that affidavit, in addition to you saying that I affirm that I have a philosophical or religious opposition to vaccination, it also makes you agree to this statement. You'll love this. I understand that failure to complete the required vaccination schedule increases the risk to my child and others of contracting, carrying, or spreading a vaccine-preventable infectious disease. Yeah, yeah. That would you sign th- that? that? Well, they're setting you up for failure because that way they can now say that you did something intentionally or exactly. you did something. Yeah, I mean it's it's just ridiculous, but. Would I sign that to make sure that my child wouldn't uh, get vaccinated? Yes, I would, because I don't care about that fallout. I'm more worried about the fallout of my child getting the vaccine. Sure, sure. But as you said, and this is the cautionary tale here, by signing it, you acknowledge something that isn't even true. So you're made to be a liar about a statement that you know is factually incorrect and not substantiated by any scientific validation. Yeah, so what, what's the attorney trying to do with this statement? Well, yeah, the attorney's trying to get it removed altogether because, she, you know, she's saying, listen, I don't want to vaccinate my kid, but I know that that statement is not a statement that's truthful. And you want me to sign that in order to opt out? It's like here you're violating my First Amendment rights in this way. You can't coerce me to believe something I don't believe. Yeah, it's um, making somebody lie in order to, to protect your own child. Yeah, exactly. They want See, the thing is, the government love to lie whether they admit it or not they do it all the time and they don't feel good unless you're doing it too <laughs> just just like i've joked about doctors who t- won't tell their patients they're constipated because they only have two to three bowel movements a week and that can only be true when the doctors are going less than that you know robert that made me realize uh liam's book official stories he goes into that aspect too and he talks about how we how basically people are brainwashed into thinking that well that what that atrocity that happened or those lies that were told by the government that happened in different countries and we would never do that here and of course if there was something that was embarrassing that happened in our own history that happened 200 years ago and of course it wouldn't happen today and yet it's constantly happening and he the way he paints that picture was very interesting and it goes along with exactly what you just said it's constantly being done the doctors are constantly constipated <laughs> they they're, they're everything is it's almost like i was talking to my trainer for for my dogs and um one of the things he says was there's a competition level called schutz and the schutz and one two and three and it's the highest level schutz and three is the highest level of obedience tracking and protection and he said when i was talking to my trainer he said the problem is that schutz and even though you've got these dogs that are highly trained it's a fantasy world it's not a real world it's not practical there's no practicality of what schutz is it's just a competition and and really where we're living in our world, it seems like everything that we do, it's all in a fantasy world. It's nothing real. I mean, this GMO aspect uh, mm-hmm. you know, that we talked about in the earlier segment. Yes. It, in reality, anybody who looks at this from a reality basis would say, what? They're doing what to our food? How could they do this to our food? Now, surely this has got to be an animated story you're telling me because this can't be real. But – it's so far-fetched that nobody believes it because nobody even is aware that something this off the wall could even be possible. Yeah, it is I have incredible. people left, right, and center when we talk about mercury, and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember that, you know. Uh, but, yeah, but thank God that's not the situation now. And you look at it, what's not the situation? Well, you don't have vaccine. They don't have mercury in vaccines now. I said, yes, they do. No, no, no that, that stopped 10 years ago. 
or or amalgams. Well, that's that's what they used to do back, you know, 10, 15 years ago. They don't do that now. People are under the impression, the masses are under the impression that they stopped doing that. They have no clue that not only are vaccines still laden with mercury, not only are the dental amalgams still 49.5% mercury by weight, but now they're putting mercury in our light bulbs and calling it in the name of the green movement and energy efficiency that we have now mercury in every light bulb. And so this mass indoctrination and and making it so far out that nobody would even believe that these things are out there, I think is is like a dichotomy that we're dealing with because in private, more and more people do know. Yes. In public, when I'm private and public, my circle of influence, everybody seems to know. Yet when I talk to people at a, at a conference, and for instance, in a medical conference like advanced medicine seminars, all those people were aware. They, they, were, they all knew. But if you're on a bus going to the you know, flight terminal to catch your flight, you're sitting next to somebody on a flight or you wherever in some type of a social setting that's, that's an everyday traveling type of scenario where you're just meeting somebody by chance and, and the conversation ensues, most people think that that was something that happened 10, 15 years ago. That, that doesn't happen today. That doesn't happen now. Right. Right. No, and that, again, be the beauty of official stories, the way Liam weaves the stories, it's like, this has been going on forever. This is not new. Each generation, they want to pretend it's a new thing, and you're being outrageous for asking or questioning the official story. And you mentioned the green bulbs. I know what a shock that was to many of my friends who, you know, they, they were like, I didn't even think to look. It just wasn't occur to me. Oh, God, it's a green bulb. Okay, great. And I was uh, at an event. My daughter's now part of participating in these Girl Scout things. And there's an event where they had you, you know, do this survey. Are you being an environmental steward? Are you this, that? And they get to the green bulbs thing. And I said, you know that these bulbs are filled with mercury. And I didn't know what to expect anymore when I say that. And then this uh, scout leader or whatever lady said, yeah, I know. Isn't that weird? <laughs> I was like, okay. So they know, but they don't know to do anything about it. It's uh, like, right, okay, I know right, exactly. it. Exactly. But what? And this is the thing we talked we've talked about now, you know, with the 2012 aspect. Yeah. The the big, the really really big things. Now I think people are becoming more aware like the government aspect, the mm-hmm. the Wall Street aspect, the uh, facade with the housing aspect, the you know, all these diff- big things, the real big things people are now starting to question. Um, you know, the, the bailouts, people are questioning, well, wait a second, you give this much money to a major company to bail them out. And if you just took that, they're talking about how can you jumpstart the economy? I got a great email that got sent to me that, hey, you want to jumpstart the economy? Take that same amount of money that they gave to General Motors or whoever they gave it to and divide it by the uh, number of adult Americans that are working and it came out to like $480,000 per adult American that's working. Yep. Give them that. Let them pay off the houses. You talk about jumping, starting the economy. People are going to have excess money. They're going to go out there. They're going to spend it. That's going to jump the economy. Yeah. And it was such a great statement because it would. So more and more people are now aware that the big things, you know, they're BS. And it's going to start trickling down. And that all the little things that have been BS that have been fed down the pipeline, you know, they're going to, they're, people are becoming more and more aware of it. And I think that's when we talked about the 2012 being the golden age, the age of information. Um, that's that's the dichotomy there. You know, I still meet people that have no clue. And yet I know that a lot of people that I meet, they not only have a clue, they're very well aware of uh, what's going on. So it's it's happening. It's trickling down. 
Oh, it is. And, and this is the thing. The next phase of it is the active phase. Because sometimes it is a passive awakening, weirdly enough. It's just kind of, oh, wait, I noticed that. Or because of the hundredth monkey effect. But then the question becomes, what do you do with the information? Do you just find it? No, oh, that's an interesting fact. And then you go right back to you know consuming the mercury, eating the GMOs. Or do you take that information and now act on it for a transformation of your life and the life of those you, you know you brought into this world and you care for. We're talking kids, grandkids, etc. And so that's the next phase of it. Isn't just enough to know something. Now you got to do something differently with that information. Absolutely, and I think more and more people are are vying to find that information. They're they're actively pursuing methods of of acquiring that information, and that's really the reason that we decided to start the advanced medicine seminars to be able to give people an opportunity to to get the right information surrounded by like-minded people in a venue that is conducive to learning without any bias Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely well when we come back from this break we'll get to one of the questions of the day we usually like to give some kind of medical some physiological health issues so you come away and go well i got you know i i love the journey but i also want to know something here about this so uh stand by we'll reveal one of those after the break and wrap up today's advanced medicine monday with dr rasha batar and of course preview once again advanced medicine seminars the next one coming up in houston texas november 16th and 17th that's a friday saturday Healthcare providers of all stripes so to speak are welcome. Please come for both days. All of the lay audience out there plan to attend on Saturday. I'll be there for that. We'll have a great time, and we'll have a great time wrapping up the show today after this brief break. You're listening to The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Remember, if you want to get your question answered, you can always call us at 866-939-BELL, 866-939-2355, or post them to the website or to some of the social media here. Of course, we've got Twitter feeds as well as the, uh, the Facebook stuff. So any of those ways, we'll keep reviewing them and looking for them. This one comes from the Robert Scott Bell Show website. It comes from Kevin M. And Kevin says he, re- he read, Dr. Batar, that selenium fights... Hydrogen peroxide within the body. I'm not sure I understand what he's saying here, but he says, and liposomal vitamin C, or I guess vitamin C, produces hydrogen peroxide within the body. If I take one, should I not take the other? If that's the case and you can only take one and you have cancer, which one would you take? (laughs) So I I think there's some confusion in the question. Maybe we need to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, I think that's a great, uh, great point because I agree with you. There's definitely some confusion in the question. And uh, not that we're confused by the question, but there's some statements that are made by the question that are not that are not correct. So I think we should uh, cover that. First of all, vitamin C and selenium are both excellent, and they both have significant antioxidant properties. And so, by definition, they're going to be anti-carcinogenic. Uh, I'll just say one quick thing about selenium. There was a study that was done uh, a number of years ago. And um, I can't give you the reference because I've talked about it so many times. It's it's referenced in one of our DVDs, the Know Your Options DVDs, but I can't give you the reference right off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But essentially, they looked at a retrospective study of that covered a 19-year period. And there were two patient populations, one that was given 200 micrograms of selenium on a daily basis, and the other patient population was not. 
They did whatever their behaviors were. In other words, if they smoked or they drank or whatever they did, high-risk behaviors, there was no um, exclusive. Uh, there was no exclusion criteria in the study, in other words. So people were allowed to do whatever they did. The only difference was 200 micrograms of selenium. And what they found was that the incidence of cancer in the group that did not take selenium was something between 16 and 17 percent meaning that 16, out of seven, 16 or 17 out of 100 people got cancer versus in the group that was on the selenium had a less than 0.1% incidence of cancer. So it was like a, out of 1,000 people, only one would have had cancer. So it was a very, very interesting study. And the conclusion was very clear that you should take selenium. But to show mm-hmm. you how our medical paradigm works, the conclusion from the author or the conclusion of the researchers that were reviewing the article said there should be further studies done to review the, to assess the anti-carcinogenic activity of selenium. <laughs> now I'm saying, you know, after 19 years, you see 17% versus less than 0.1%. Yes. The conclusion should be everybody take 200 micrograms of selenium. Not that further research is needed on it. No, and in fact, we take it to heart. I mean, uh, we, we're all doing it here at the house. Of course, the kids get a little less, but uh, I think it is the most critical. And it's not like we say that one thing is the only thing. That's not. We know everything is important, but in terms of selenium depletion from the soils, the refinement of foods, the fact that this, this selenium is known. I mean, even uh, Jonathan Ebor, my dear friend who's beaten the FDA back seven times on the issue, all the science supporting the cancer protective and reversing effects of selenium is so overwhelming, yet our federal overlords don't want anybody to know this. Right. That's exactly right. So to answer the person's question, the, the selenium aspect, you should take selenium if you have an issue to, if you've got a concern about cancer, and especially if you have cancer, everybody needs a, a broad spectrum, not just selenium, but you need a broad spectrum for many different things. Uh, and then, of course, vitamin C, same type of story. Uh, it's a very significant antioxidant. If it's liposomal, the, the base of the liposomal uh, applications are that they absorb better through the gastrointestinal tract. They assimilate in the system better. As far as the hydrogen peroxide aspect, you want the body to be able to produce hydrogen peroxide. Hydrogen peroxide is a natural uh, component that's made by the body. The blood cells secrete the hydrogen peroxide. It's one of the mechanisms the immune system actually works through. So when the question was stated as... Again, Robert, could you repeat that part when he said hydrogen? Yeah, he was concerned that the selenium would actually, quote-unquote, fight the hydrogen peroxide that we know is produced or that can be used as a therapeutic mode to add it to the body as well. This whole kind of thing of antagonism, despite the fact that our body is always in states of antagonism, and I don't say that negatively, but we're always you know, working to boost something or reduce something else, but there's a way that these mechanisms can all exist, coexist simultaneously. Yeah, exactly. And that's the point right there that we enhance the body's ability to do whatever it's supposed to do. And the utilization of hydrogen peroxide in fighting infectious processes or uh, in situations where there, there's a decrease in the immune system, as in with cancer, hydrogen peroxide is an important component of that. So you don't want anything that's going to, quote unquote, fight it. You want something to enhance the balance that the body desires. And selenium will do that. Um, so I'm not sure what he meant by the fighting, but regardless, you want selenium, you want vitamin C. Yeah. They're both relatively inexpensive, and um, and I think that you should take them both. 
Yeah, and Kevin, message to you out there. We appreciate the question. If you have a follow-up, if uh, you know we're going and looking at a study that is not referenced here because it was just a generalized question, uh, please do do follow up. Give us a call at eight six six nine three nine Bell eight six six nine three nine two three five five. And we know, I mean, cancer is a big issue. It's a multifactorial issue. We've talked about it here many times over the last couple of years. And these these things that you ask are very good, and we definitely want to integrate them. But also, we don't want to overthink things, because sometimes you can get down to the minutia of these pathways and think, oh, my gosh, if this counteracts this, how can we use this and that at the same time? But recognizing the regulation of all body systems happens simultaneously, as I say, up, down, high, low, all of the time. It's much more complex complex than just, oh, you put this in, it'll stop that, but this will go and that that won't. That's exactly right. It, it's not that simple. It's uh, but it's it, it it is simple, but it's not that simple. In other words, it's all integrated and it's completely and perfectly balanced. But I would not try to piecemeal anything, and that's I think what maybe Kevin was possibly thinking. And again, I'm not sure, but hopefully we address the answer appropriately or gave an appropriate answer. And then if there's any other follow-ups, as you suggested, maybe Kevin can let us know. But I think that may be a good question, too, that we picked mm-hmm. Robert to answer because I think it would have been applicable to a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Since we started today a little bit on the on the cancer issue, we don't want to overlook the emotional states. We, we talked about how important those are, as well as choosing the doctor who will support you in your recovery. Like, I think it was Marlena. I remember the, the name of the gal that was writing about, you know, being so grateful for what you do as she was proud that she fired her doctor. And so all of these things are, are things that we do so that you can find. I mean, if you don't come to see Dr. Batar directly, which some do, uh, not everybody can from around the world, uh, you'll find somebody that will support your efforts to heal in a way that you're comfortable in, and you feel this is the right path for me as the heart knows. It goes beyond the logic, as we talked about as well. And, you know, the advanced medicine seminars, that's another reason that we put them on so that doctors, we can find the right doctors. We can have a almost a calling for the right doctors to come together and then introduce those doctors to those patients. And that's exactly what happened at the first one. Mm-hmm. We actually had a number of people that responded and said, thank you for having the seminar because I was able to find uh, you know, Dr. So-and-so that was at the seminar. I met them and yes. now I'm going to go see them. And it was nice to see the actual goal behind the seminar full circle come come to fruition for us to have accomplished that goal in the first seminar that people are actually finding the right doctors absolutely that are coming to the same place it was great well that's it that's the time for the day and another reason why you should plan to come to houston um to meet the good docs that are out there good health care providers perhaps be one yourself even as a layperson you're a healer just by the very presence that you bring to everything you bring. And that's a big part of what we do here on Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Batar. Thank you so much, Dr. Batar, as always. Well, thank you, Robert. And what we're left with is simply to remind you the God's honest truth, that the power to heal is yours. 